Are you ready for God's word today? All right, why don't you grab your Bible and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 18, everybody. Proverbs 18, and we're in a series of messages that we call Relationship Myths. And we're talking about uh, relationships. We're talking about sometimes myths that we have, um, myths that we have that maybe are even unspoken, but they're expectations, our hopes, or they're just kind of the way the world is, or kind of what you hope for, you wish you had. Um, but truthfully, it just doesn't work that way. And so I hope you've been tracking along with us. Um, also, I just want to say uh, a couple of things. Uh, number one, later on in the series, we're going to actually do, we're going to answer questions. And if you have a relationship question that you would like for us to answer, then if you would text my question to 94,000, Fill it out, and we'll try to our best to answer as many questions as we can. Also, um, if you prayed for our pastors and our elders, we were away on retreat at the front end of this week. We do that every year. That's something, it's nothing really new. If you've been here a while, you probably heard us talk about it. But we go away, and it's not, um, it's not relaxing. Someone said, it must be nice to go on an elders retreat or a pastor's retreat. Well, if you go ask them, they're going to tell you, you know what? It's actually not because we work. And what we do is we get away from all the normal events of life and rhythms of life, and, um, and we pray, we fast and we pray. We try to hear what God is saying for Pathway Church for the next year. And then we go to work on distilling that down into how do we need to lead? What do we need to do? What do we need to focus on? Um, what types of things do we maybe need to start? What things do we, not, do we need to stop? And so we kind of work through the whole thing and it's, it's a lot. But one of the areas of emphasis for next year is discipleship, our discipleship model and just helping people live successfully for Jesus um, and one of those emphasis is on marriage and relationships. And so I, I said that to say we have ways of helping marriages and families, and we're creating, especially next year, uh, we're creating a lot of opportunities for healing and help in relationships and marriages. But if you need help today in your relationship, in your marriage, you can text my marriage to 94000, and our pastoral team will get back with you, and we will help you. So just know that you can text that, my marriage to 94000, and uh, as confident obviously, but we would love to stand with you, pray with you, help you. Uh, if we can do that at the pastoral level, or if we can do that, you know, through through the things that we have, or even if it's a referral to a counselor, we would love to, to help you. Uh, so just know that, and also know next year, we have a lot of cool stuff that's going to happen in the first year I'm pretty excited about, and you'll be excited too once we tell you, but I'm not going to tell you today. Amen. All right, you're in Proverbs 18. We're in a series called Relationship Myths. And um, I want to talk today about uh, kind of a myth that I think we, we have. And, uh, and so Proverbs 18, verse 20. Now, this is a familiar verse. Of, or if, well, I'm going to read three verses. In fact, all three verses are familiar. They're not usually read together but they are together when Solomon wrote this or, or stated it and it was written for him. But in Solomon's writings, the widest man who ever lived put these things together. And I think there's a reason. So let's read this together. Verse 20 says, a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips, he will be filled. How many have heard that verse before? How many think it's the word of God? Let's read it again. A man's stomach will be satisfied by the fruit of his what? His hopes, his thoughts, his dreams, his Instagram. No, be satisfied from Pinterest. No, satisfied from the fruit of his mouth and from the produce of his lips, he will be filled. Here's what Solomon just said. We'll just put it this way. Your mouth produces a harvest you will eat whether you like it or not. That's what Solomon said. 21, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. There again, he's saying the same thing. Look at verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. I don't know that you've ever put those together. I don't know that I've ever put those together, but as I was getting ready for this message that I want to share today, um, I, I was reading these verses and I realized he put these things together. Like he is talking about our mouths and what our mouths produce and the power of our words. And then he goes right into finding a wife. 
right? Goes right into finding a wife. And I thought, this can be no coincidence. There's no coincidence. The truth of it is we know about the verse and we know about the power of our words and, and we'll talk about blessing our businesses and we'll talk about you know, blessing our health. But, but here's what I need you to understand. Um, you can't have a blessed marriage if you speak curses over it all the time. And so when it comes to our relationships, whatever those relationships could be, sibling relationships, parent-child relationships, friends, marriage, whatever, you can't have blessed relationships with a mouth that curses over them all the time. That, that the words that we speak influence and affect the relationships that we have. And so today, um, I want to talk about this. I called the message, the rules of engagement. The rules of engagement. I want to talk about communication. And here is the myth that, that I kind of want to talk about today or debunk, if you will, today. And it is that, that myth of conflict is bad. Conflict is bad. I've even heard people say, oh, their marriage is so great. They never have conflict. My thought is maybe one of them is so dominant, the other person just gave up trying to talk. It doesn't mean there's not issues. It just means they're not talking about them. So today I want to talk about I want to talk about healthy conflict, the fact that conflict is good, and I called it the rules of engagement. We're talking about communication. It's going to be fun. Everybody ready? Yes. Let's pray. Jesus, we're going to need your help, Jesus. We're going to need your help, Jesus. And here's the way we need your help, Jesus: that whatever is about to be said, when we hear it, let us receive it for us and not someone next to us or not someone that's not here. Let us help you to hear for us and not someone else. Holy Spirit, speak to us in that loving, kind, and gracious way that you do. Change our lives forever in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 So we're going to talk about conflict. Conflict. You know what? Conflict's not bad. Like I say, conflict is that sometimes we have relationships in conflict. Sometimes it just means someone's dominant, the other person's given up. The truth is, conflict is an opportunity if handled correctly. Um, it took me a while to realize this, honestly, because how many know growing up, no one taught you, no one took you in and gave you, like in high school, junior high, no one said, hey, here's a class on how to handle conflict well. So you know, where we, you know how we all start in handling conflict? We emulate whatever was modeled to us. So most of the ways we start trying to handle conflict in a, in a marriage relationship or in relationships in general, it looks like whatever environment we were raised in, right? So if I was raised in an environment where the way we handle conflict is when I get mad, I shut down emotionally, isolate emotionally, I won't talk to you and I won't look at you for a month till I get over it, then we think that's how you handle conflict. Like the obvious way you handle conflict is the clinical term is stonewall. We call it the silent treatment. I'm mad, so I won't talk to you and I won't look at you until I've decided I'm over it. And then sometimes we're in an environment where maybe we think handling conflict is, well, I don't tell you anything. What I do in handling conflict is I slam everything. Yeah, just look straight ahead. This is where you just look straight ahead. I slam the cabinets. I slam the door. Or maybe I go outside and cut a tree down. I don't know what it is, but there's a way, right? And, and so the question then really is, well, how do you handle conflict? Well, and it's a skill. Listen to me. It is a skill that we learn, but it is a skill you need to learn, right? So we're going to talk about communication. We're going to talk about conflict before we get into to resolving conflict. So I've got a lot I'm going to share. We're going to go as fast as we can and still make it make sense. But I want to talk about just some keys for communication. I'm going to talk about some don'ts of anger. And then I'm going to talk about resolving conflict. We're going to do all that today. It's going to be wonderful. Amen. Let me give you three keys for, for communication. I don't know that I've read these anywhere. You can call these Pastor Marty's keys of communication um, because I wrote them. Um, but but uh, key number one is choose your words wisely. Choose your words wisely. You, may, you guys remember Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? You guys remember this? Anybody remember Indiana Jones? Aren't they making a new one? Okay, if you don't remember Indiana Jones, get on Netflix. You, it's part of culture, and you need Indiana Jones. There's a lot of, lot of theology in Indiana Jones, okay? 
Raiders of the Lost Ark, where they're looking for the Ark of the Covenant, the Last Crusade, right? They're, they're looking for the cup that Jesus, you know, drank out of. I mean, come on, people. Surprise, not on TV. And anyways, the point is, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, um, they, they, are, they are looking for the cup that, that Jesus would have drank from. And, and so they get, they finally, that's the whole thing, right? the Holy Grail. And so they finally get to the room where all the cups are and there's a knight there and Indiana Jones' dad has been shot, Sean Connery, and he's been shot and, and Indiana Jones has got to save his life. And, and so he's looking at all the cups and, and, and there's a knight there that's been there like near three or 400 years, right? And the knight's like, you got to pick the right cup. And if you pick the right cup and drink the water, you live. You pick the wrong cup, you die. And right then the bad guy shows up and he picks this really ornate golden goblet and he scoops the water, he drinks it and then basically just ages and decays just and just dies, right? And the knight says, he chose poorly. <laughs> kind of an understatement at this point, don't you think, right? Then Indiana Jones realized, oh, I'm not looking for a cup that a king drank out of. I'm looking for a cup that a carpenter would have drank out of. And he finds this really plain, simple cup. And, and this is the grill. Scoops the water, drinks it. And the knight says, you have chosen wisely. I think when it comes to conflict and words, if you could have this little knight with you, I really think this is what Solomon's talking about. There is life and there is death in the power of the tongue. Choose your words wisely. Right? Choose your words wisely. Listen, every good relationship is made up of good words. It is made and maintained by good words, right? This is why newly engaged couples, newly dating couples, you know why they're all in love? Because they don't speak bad words. Ask, ask her about him. And she's like, oh my God, he's amazing. Everything he does is amazing. He's just so amazing. He's just so handsome and so kind and so charming and so thoughtful. He's just amazing. He sent me a teddy bear, a flower. He washed my car. He's just amazing, Right? Talk to him about her. Yeah, she's cool. <laughs> and hot. Right? But they're speaking, they're speaking good words, right? But what happens? Time goes on. We're hurt. We go through things, difficult situations, right? When you have two imperfect people in close proximity, someone eventually is going to, you know, say something, do something. There's going to be wounds. There's going to be things that happen. And all of a sudden, our mouths turn bad, and we wonder why our marriage turned bad. Our mouths turn bad and we wonder why the relationship doesn't work anymore because it went from, he's just so wonderful, so charming. Man, he's just dirt, man. He's sorry. You know, like he doesn't care. You know. Well, what we need to do is choose our words. We need to understand, that's what Solomon's saying, that life and death in the power of the words. There's something you need to understand about words. And, and the first thing that you need to understand about words is that there are no take backs. It's like a text. Once you press send, you don't get it back. It is out there forever, right? And, and I know we say things like, well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But you're devastated over something somebody said 15 years ago to you. You're still dealing with it today, what they said, right? And so we have to understand that words don't just evaporate. They don't disappear, that, that they go on. I mean, science tells us sound waves go on forever. In fact, when uh, Hebrews 11 says, we understand that the world was formed at the command of God so that what we see is made up of what we can't see, he's actually talking about sound waves that God spoke and created everything. And what science actually tells us is the, small, the, the smallest uh, theoretical particle that matter is comprised of is called a quark, which is essentially a vibration or a sound wave. Here's what he's saying. God spoke and it's still working. And when you speak, you can't pull those sound waves back in. You can't pull that once you've said it, you've said it. And so in relationships, especially you don't want to say something now that you're going to have to pay a counselor to get over later. And I'm all for counselors. I have one, okay? But I'm just saying, you want to choose wisely. So we need to understand that, that our mouths are creating our world. 
And our mouths are impacting and influencing our relationships. And this is what Solomon said. It's a powerful thing that, that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Listen to me very carefully. This is actually not just bad news. This is also good news. It's a great warning that, that just like I can speak death over life. I, I can speak death. I can speak death over my business. I can speak death over my health. I can speak poor things and bad things over myself, but I can speak life to things. Listen, if you've killed your relationship with your mouth, change your words and it can bring it back to life. The power of life is in the tongue. Start talking to them like you used to talk to them way back in the beginning. Start speaking blessings. Listen to me very carefully. You need to understand this. Your marriage will not rise above your mouth. And by the way, that's not just words spoken to them. That's the words you speak with your girlfriends. Just keep looking forward. Like, I don't know what he's talking about right now, but it's probably good for somebody and take it to heart, right? It's not just what you say to her. It's what you say around all your guy friends. Your words, listen, words, words don't evaporate. They're eternal. And what you're speaking is impacting your relationship. Even if they don't hear it, it's still out there. Are you with me? So choose wisely. Here's the second thing. This is a good one. Choose to listen first. Choose to listen first. Let me explain what I mean by this. Most of the time we are guilty when someone is trying to talk to us, we are listening to respond when we need to listen to understand, right? And, and, and listen, this is something I've had to work on this skill because I'm, I, my, my mind is very fast I'm, and I'm quick-witted and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's really bad, <laughs> right? And my mind will just go, go, go. And, and my, I am guilty of many times five seconds into a conversation thinking, I know what you're going to say and I know what I'm going to respond with. And what you need to understand, that's not good. Because I don't know exactly what you're going to say, but better yet, I don't understand why you're saying it. So it's one thing to hear what you say. It's another thing to understand why you're telling me this. And so I need to listen to understand, not listen to respond. L look at what James um, says. Know this, my beloved brothers. This is James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. Many times, if you'll be quick to hear and slow to speak, you'll be slower to anger. Because many times we get to anger because we jump to a conclusion. And sometimes the conclusion is that person's not for me. That person's against me. When maybe they're not trying to, to be against you, they're just wanting you to understand them. Are, are you with me? So choose to listen First, and then here, here's the third key for communication. Choose conflict over combat. Conflict over combat. Let, let me explain the difference. Combat is fighting for me. Conflict is working for us. Right? So, so we want to find how to work for us, not how to win. In relationships, probably everybody knows this, but we'll just say it. In relationships, you can win and lose at the same time. And probably most of us have done that at some point. Oh, I won. I won the argument. I put them in their place. I made them hear me. I made them. Yeah, you, you won, but you lost, right? And so most of the time we lose because we're in combat and we're choosing to fight for me and not fight for us. And guys, this works with your girlfriends, with your guy friends, with your kids, with your parents, with your, with your spouse. It works for everybody. When we approach communication, I don't want to fight with anybody, but I want to fight. If it's anybody that I care about at all, I want to fight for us. I don't want to fight with you, but I'd like to fight for us. So, so what we're choosing to do then is we're choosing to be in unity over choosing to be right. Because many times we fight to be right when the choice we need to make is we need to choose 
to be in unity. Let me give you a couple of pro tips under this. Pro tip number one, you can't get good results with bad words. Right? You can't get good results with bad words. In other words, remember, we're choosing our words wisely, right? Well, I can't use explicatives. I'm, I'm going to say something very bold, and I want you to brace yourself. There is no excuse for a married person to use certain explicatives at the other person. Let me say it another way. There is never an excuse to cuss your spouse out. Never an excuse. Right? If Let me just tell you what that says. That doesn't say your spouse has a problem. That says you do. Because God gave you the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Right? And there's never an excuse. Listen, as a pastor, you know, I've had people come in and they talk. You can tell, tell me things and you try to help them, you know, as best you can. I've never had one, a person come in and say, Pastor, we were having a lot of problems in our marriage. A lot of things were going wrong. But then she cussed me out. And she wove a virtual tapestry of explicatives that, as far as I know, still hangs over Lake Michigan. And at the end of that, everything was better. I love nervous laughter. No. That didn't ever fix anything. It sure did make things worse, though. It sure did. It devastated someone. And so, so pro tip here is you can't have good results with bad words. Choose, choose, choose wisely. And so when you're choosing conflict, see, com, conflict is we need to solve a problem. Combat is I'm going to throw a grenade. Right? Let me give you one other pro tip, and that is this. In relationships, and it doesn't matter familiar relationships or, or dating or um, husband, wife, whatever the case may be. Um, in relationships, the way relationships work is they work by some ingredients, honor, grace, vulnerability. Okay, well, when people are vulnerable, that's we call, we have a word for that. It's called intimacy. Intimacy, you see, we talked about this. So I'm being vulnerable because I'm letting you see inside me. I'm letting you see what's going on. When we're in relationships and we start seeing people's vulnerabilities, in other words, we can see their, their weaknesses, we can see what's going on with them. When that happens in relationships, listen to me very carefully. When, when you see someone's vulnerability or you see someone's weakness, tell them I'll get right back with them, whoever's calling. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, you have to acknowledge it because everybody's thinking about it. You can't even hear me because you're worried about somebody's phone. It's probably your phone. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, one time it was my phone. You know, whatever. Anyways, might be a good time to say silence your phones. Anyways, but think about this. When, when, when you're in a relationship with someone and you see, you come in to know their vulnerability or their weakness, pro tip, never use that against them. Never. Use that against them. Because what will happen is, maybe you know, like, I know that she has a, a, a wound of rejection. I know some of her history, you know, through my relationship with her. Come to know she has a wound of rejection. So to get my way, to manipulate her, I know if I give her the silent treatment, she'll feel rejected and she'll cave. Listen, no. No. No, when, when you know, like I know his wound, like he has this wound and it's shame and he, 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 he's told me that he just doesn't feel like he's good enough and that's something he wrestles with. Well, when I know that, I'm not going to say, well, you're like your dad, you'll just never be good enough to win an argument. No, what you do when, when someone lets their defenses down and you want to maintain vulnerability, you want to maintain intimacy. You want to maintain connection. When you know, listen, this difference between conf conflict and combat. When there's combat, I'm going to throw a grenade at their weakness. When there's conflict, I'm going to build a wall around them and say, your weakness is safe with me. I will work to protect the areas where you're weak in because I want to stay connected to you. 
right? And if I know this, I know you struggle with feeling of not being enough. Not only am I going to tell you enough, but when there's conflict, I'm going to make sure you understand that I think you're enough. And this conflict is not to shame you or to make you feel less than. I'm just trying to work for us in an area, not work against you. I'm going to shore up and I'm going to protect the areas where I know you're vulnerable because remember, I'm working towards us. I'm not fighting for me. Are you with me? Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any wholesome, any unwholesome talk, look at that, do not let any unwholesome talk or text come out of your mouth or your phone, <laughs> but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So three, three rules for communication. Now, I, in conflict, what we know in, in, in dealing with conflict, we know there's going to be anger. How do we know there's going to be anger? Let me tell you why. Because we're human. And here's what we know about anger. Anger most of the time is not the problem. It's the secondary emotion. In other words, you're not usually angry because you're angry. You're angry because you're scared. You're angry because you're hurt. You're angry because of something else that's going on. But we're all going to deal with anger. And in any relationship, you're going to deal with anger. And that's not the problem. The problem is how you deal with anger. That's what I want to talk about. So let me give you the four don'ts of anger. The four don'ts of anger. And they actually come from Paul's writings to the Ephesians. Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be angry. Most of you heard this verse. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. I want to give you the four don'ts of anger, or the four do nots of anger. And it's from this, this verse, um, verse 26 and then verse 27. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, give place to the devil. Number one, if you're writing this down, and you probably should, number one, don't deny it. He said, be angry, right? So the first do not, or the first don't, is don't deny you're angry. Don't deny you're angry. Um, let, let me, you know, back to, remember our analogy about how we get angry and, and, and she'll go slamming things or, or he'll go out back and tear something up or, you know, or, or we get real quiet and we give someone the, what we call the silent treatment or stonewalling them or whatever. And, and we talked about that's how we deal, deal with anger. Not that any of us have ever done those, but, but we know people who have, Right? Yeah, yeah, we've all, I mean, or we saw it on TV, probably. I mean, we would never do those things. We're Christians. Um, but you know what I've found is, is sometimes if you'll just put language to your emotions, they're less intimidating. And sometimes if you'll just put language to your emotions, you don't have to prove to somebody that you're mad. You could just tell them. Right? Because isn't that what we're doing a lot of times? It's, it's really an immature way to try to communicate that I'm upset is breaking a door off the hinges as I'm slamming it to go out back and chop firewood or something, right? It's really an immature way to let people know you're angry by throwing a knife at them and it sticks right, you know, you know, are you upset, dear? I didn't know. I nearly died. Okay. And so really that's an immature way. And, and it's because those emotions, a lot of times we don't know how to deal with them. Well, the best thing we can do is start putting language to them. And when I put language to them, they're less, they're less intimidating for me. They're less daunting and less overwhelming. But also, I don't need to prove to you that I'm upset or that something's going on with me. I can just say, you know, I'm upset. You know, I'm angry right now. And, and when I say that, right, I'm not going to deny it. I'm not going to pretend that I'm not. We've all had that situation I want to say men, but I don't want to be stereotypically against any, anyone. But, you know, you've had that situation where you've walked in the kitchen and every door is being slammed and everything's being slammed down and stuff's, you know, and then the dinner's burnt. And, and then it's like, well, honey, are you upset? What gave you that idea? Well, the, the house is on fire, honey, and you set it on fire. And, right? Or you go out back and he's got a sledgehammer and he's beating the car to death. I don't know. Whatever it is, you're like, honey, are you upset? No, why? <laughs> no, sometimes it's just better to learn to say this how I feel. Like, hey, I'm angry. Hey, I'm upset. The point is, don't, don't deny it and don't stuff it. Listen to me. Listen to me. Let me save you some therapy. The emotion, the emotion or emotions that you choose to stuff today will make you sick tomorrow. 
stuff it today, be sick tomorrow. We have to learn to deal with it. So let's not deny our emotion. Let's not deny our anger. Here's the second thing is don't deny it. But number two, don't sin. Not a problem to be angry. Paul says, be angry. Just don't kill anybody. Right? In other words, in other words, it is okay to have emotion on the bus. It is okay to have anger on the bus. This is not a weird side effect of God's creation. Like God didn't intend for us to have emotion. God has emotion, right? We're made in his image, so we have emotion. There's nothing wrong with having emotion. The problem is when emotion has us. There's nothing wrong with having anger on the bus. Just don't let anger drive the bus because it will drive the bus through a Walmart and you'll be on the news. That's how you get on the news. Let anger drive the bus. Are you, are you with me? So there's nothing wrong. Be angry, but, but don't sin. And, and when, we, when we sin with anger, here's what we sin. When we let anger take control. It's one thing to have anger. It's another thing for anger to have us. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I should be able to be angry and not be a detriment to anyone around me. I should be able to be angry and control my mouth. I should be able to be angry and control my behaviors, right? We call this maturity, where I can own my emotion, take responsibility for my emotion. Sure, we all sin. Sure, we all mess up. But I'm saying here, the goal is be angry, but, but don't sin, right? Be angry, but, but don't sin. Here's what I know about anger, especially in relationships. Anger is contagious. Anxiety, in fact, a lot of emotions in relationships, anxiety is contagious. Usually if you have one anxious person, you'll end up with two anxious people. But anger is contagious. And here's why. When we don't control anger, we'll end up doing something to make the other person angry because we want them angry because we're angry. I'm angry and you be angry. And I'm going I'm to tell you something may blow your mind right now. It's perfectly okay to have a relationship and just one person be angry. In fact, it can be really helpful for the angry person not to make the unangry person angry if you want to solve the problem. But we instinctively think, right, because we're going, we're going for combat and not conflict. If we're not careful, anger gets a hold of us and it's like anger's got a hold of me. Now, I'm going to jab you a couple times till you're angry. Because we got to fight. No, you don't, you don't have to fight. You can work together and you don't have to make them angry. Here's, here's a verse for you. It's a good one. Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath. Look, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, anger is contagious. A harsh word stirs up anger. So what do I want to do when I'm angry? Well, I don't want to be angry and make them angry because then we got two angry people that are less rational. What I want to do is be angry and use soft words and not let my anger be contagious and understand that they don't have to be angry because I'm angry. And just because I'm angry, I don't have to do something to get even so they can be angry so we can fight it out. No, I can, it can stop with me. I can be angry, but I cannot sin. Here's the third don't of anger. Don't hang on to it. Don't hang on to it. This is what Paul says. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Let me tell you what Paul's actually saying. Deal with today's anger today. Many times in relationships, when you get to a relationship that's in a critical situation where communication is broken down and all, all the stuff that goes with that, what you find is, oh, we're dealing with yesterday's anger or yesteryear's anger. In other words, we're dealing with things that were never dealt with. And so Paul is saying, hey, don't let the sun go down here. Here's what he's saying. Deal with today's anger today. Listen, today, dealing with today's anger, that may be difficult. But dealing with yesterday's anger, that could be deadly for your relationship. Don't stuff it. We have to deal with today's anger. He said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, a lot of people, in fact, my parents were this way. Um, they, the way they applied this verse is, we're not going to go to bed angry. 
We will not go to sleep angry. We're going to deal with it today. And I think that's wonderful. If you can make that kind of resolution, I think that's a good thing to do. That's a good pro tip in marriage. I understand it's not always possible, but it's a great goal to say, let's just deal with today's anger today. No one goes to sleep until this is dealt with. That's a good rule because I've found you're, you're, less, you're, you're less ingrained in your position the later it gets. The later it gets, the more the more amiable, you know, the, the more open you are to probably it could have, but you know, at nine o'clock, it's all them. By midnight, it's like, it's my fault. Let's go to bed, y'all. <laughs> right? So I think that's a good goal. If you can have that goal that we're going to deal. But I think this is the goal is we want to deal with today's anger today. We don't want to, we don't want this building up. We don't want this coming back to get us. Now, I understand sometimes when people are angry and they're, they're so triggered that they, you know, it, what happens, you understand when we're triggered is it engages our amygdala. Our amygdala is this little part back here at the base of the brain. And it's where we get our, our fight, our flight, and our freeze responses, or sometimes a fold response. Um, sometimes doctors will call it, psychologists, those two, you know, they'll call it the lizard brain because that's the only brain a lizard has is what is like the human amygdala. They only have fight, flight, or freeze. That's all they know how to do. When you see a lizard, he's like, you know what he's thinking? Fight, flight, or freeze. Fight, fight, or freeze. And it's all he knows how to do. He doesn't know. He's not sitting there thinking, you know, those are great looking tulips. I like those. No, he's like, should I run? Should I freeze? Should I fight? Right? Uh, that's all he knows how to think, all right? <laughs> the stupidest stuff I do in a message. Anyways, but sometimes when, when your amygdala is, is engaged like that, you, communication can't be productive in that moment. And, that, and that's understandable. So let me give you, if you can't deal with today's anger today, I still say that's the best rule. But let me give you another offering here. Don't stonewall. It's one, one of the biggest predictors of divorce is stonewalls when communication breaks down and we give each other silent treatment. Because if we're working through conflict, at least we're working. When we just stop talking altogether, that's usually a bigger problem. So we don't stonewall. If you're a person, you're like, man, I'm mad and I'm afraid I'm going to say something. And I don't want to say something. Then that's smart. Say this. Hey, honey, I love you. I'm for you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm mad. Can we talk later? Right? Because at least now there's something there. Like we're working for us. Praise God. She's not going to kill me in my sleep. <laughs> right? Not going to wake up with a pillow over my head this time. <laughs> this time. Anyways, and so, right? There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. Maybe it's earlier in the day. It's 10 o'clock. I don't know. Saturday. Something happens. You're triggered. You're mad. Honey, I'm so upset, but I so love you. Could we, I'm going to walk the dog and then we can talk right? Or if it's late at night, I'm so tired. I'm so upset. I want you to know we're going to work it out. We're on the same team. Yes, I'm upset. Let's get up and talk at 6 a.m. after we've had some rest. But, but here's what I'm saying. Don't let it linger. Deal with today's anger today. And then the fourth place, don't give place to the devil. The fourth don't. Don't give place to the devil. So, so don't, don't deny it. Don't sin, don't hang on to it, and don't give place to the devil. Let me tell you the two things that, that the devil will do. In fact, Jimmy Evans from Marriage Today says this, and I like it. He says, if you've ever gone to bed angry, let me say it another way, if you've ever not dealt with today's anger, you've been counseled by the devil. And it is true because the devil will use unresolved conflict to become your therapist just like he will use trauma in our life to become our therapist. He'll use the difficult things we endure. Remember, he is the father of lies. How do you know when the devil is lying? If his mouth is moving. Jesus said all he can speak is lies. But the, but the reality is when we have unresolved conflict, when we have anger, Satan will show up. And let me tell you two things he's going to do. He's going to get you to judge their motives and he's going to get you to determine what their thoughts were. Okay? In other words, when there's conflict and it's not resolved, he's going to jump on your shoulder as, as it will, kind of like the old cartoons, and he's going to say, see, they don't care about you. See, they never liked you. See, they're selfish. See, they're just in this for themselves. I wonder what they're really up to that you don't know about. 
and he will counsel you. He will counsel you. And, and he, will, he will put these, these thoughts in there for you to make a judgment about the motive of what happened. So you're looking at a behavior. That's one thing. A behavior is what happened. A motive is why it happened. And you're assuming you have the motive of why it happened. You're making a judgment against them based on their motive. And Satan will help you do it. And he will give you the, the motive. And he will give you the judgment. And he will keep saying it over and over and over in your head till you are convinced that is why they did what they did. And sometimes that judgment is about what they or who they are, and sometimes he'll get you to make a judgment about who you are as to why you were treated that way. The other thing is, is he will get you to determine what they were thinking. Let me tell you words that kill a relationship. I think they think. Don't think they think, ask them. Right? Because I, I, think, I think they think that I'm an idiot. I think they think I'm not good enough. I think that they think I'm like their, their mom. Or I think they think I'm like their dad. Or I think they think, and, and, and it's just as bad as judging motives. Because now you assume you know what they think about you. And it's never good. Right? So let me give you this a pro tip. Let me help you. In relationships, understand you don't know their motives. You don't know what they're thinking. And you don't know how they feel. And so you ask them. Let them own their own motives. Let them own their own emotions. Let them own their own thoughts. But in relationships, when we start, and this is what I think the devil does. He starts telling you what they're thinking. He starts telling you what they're feeling. He starts telling you what their motives are. And this is a death spiral to trying to resolve conflict. When someone shows up, I know what you're thinking. No, you don't. You're not God. Well, I know what you're feeling. This is what you're feeling. How do you know? Are you inside me? Because I'm inside me. I didn't know that's the way I felt. Why are you telling me how I felt? Why not ask me how I feel? Why not let me be a person instead of trying to make me who you want me to be so you can justify how you're acting? That seemed really good. I don't think I meant it to be that harsh. <laughs> but it seemed like it was a valid point. Does that make sense? Because here's what we do sometimes, and, and this is what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to, and I'll use a, a word loosely here, but he wants you to, to villainize the other person. I was going to say demonize, but I think villainize is better. He wants you to villainize the other person and you'll be fighting with a villain and they have no idea they're the villain and they didn't know they thought that and they didn't know they felt that way and they sure didn't know that's why they did that. Are you with me? So we, we ask, we, 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 we listen, we, we deal, we, we don't deny our anger. No, not at all. We don't sin, we don't hang on to it, but we don't give the enemy a place. And you need to understand, unresolved conflict is the number one place the enemy likes to work in relationship. So let me give you a, a strategy. Five steps to resolving conflict. Uh, five steps to resolving conflict. I, I, think, I think this is helpful. This is something um, I've, you know, I've taught before, taught to our staff, taught, but... Five steps to resolving conflict. Let me give you number one, and it's usually the, the obvious one that people don't think about in resolving conflict. Because usually if I ask people, what's the first step in resolving conflict? They say, tell the other person what I think. Let me give you the first step in resolving conflict. Determine what the goal actually is. Let me explain. It is true that you could make the goal being right. It is true that you could make the goal getting what you want. It is true that you could make the goal making someone okay with what you've already done or decided. Or it is true that you could make the goal, I want, to, I want them to understand me. I want to understand them. I want to deepen our connection. So if the goal is, I, at the end of this, I want our connection to not only be established or reconnected or reestablished, but I want our connection deep. In other words, I want us to feel more together at the end of this and not less together. I want things to feel better, more safe, whatever the case may be. This is what I want us to do. I want us on the other side of this to deepen our relationship and have a better connection on the other side. What if that were the goal? Because now if that's the win, everything else is secondary. Like I don't care if I get the bass boat or not. I'm not trying to convince her to be okay with a bad decision I'm about to make. 
It's also not a negotiation. I'm not going to tell her she can have a new car because I want a new bass boat and then we'll have two new things we can't pay for. Right? That's, by the way, when, when you do that, a lot of times that's just manipulation. You know, just, you're just manipulating them to say yes to what you want so you offer them something they want. I, I'm not saying there isn't give and take in relationships. I'm saying you got to check your own heart and know what your motives are. But the goal of any conflict in situation is not to win, not to get what you want. The goal is to be better connected on the other side. That, that, should be, that should be the primary goal is to restore the connection and have a better understanding of each other. And so once you determine that's the goal, then here's the second thing. Start on the same side. In other words, many times when there's conflict, we feel like we're on different sides. I feel like I'm on my side. I'm protecting me. They're protecting them. And guys, that's human nature. When we feel offended, when we feel hurt, we kind of get on our side and they're on their side. The problem is you can't fix things as long as you're both on opposite sides. You can negotiate, you can combat, be combative, right? But you're still on opposite sides. What you need to understand is any conversation will never rise above the first two minutes. So if you're trying to deal with conflict and you start with, let me tell you what your problem is. Well, it's already over. I know why you did what you did. I'll tell you what, it's already over. So if you start on opposite sides, you're going to end on opposite sides. It's usually just going to be worse than where you started, right? So we don't want to start on opposite sides. We want to find a way to start on the same side because how we start is going to determine how we finish. You say, well, how do you do that? How how do you do that? Well, I'll give you a script (laughs) to all my men. I'm going to help you out. If you start by, by sitting down with a person, let's say you're upset. Maybe you've told them, hey, I'm upset. I'm, I'm, I'd like to talk about this later. Give me an hour, whatever. When you sit down, say, obviously I'm upset. Something's bothered me. And I want you to know that first and foremost, I'm for us. And I want you to know that I believe we can work through this together And I want to work through this with you and I want to do it in a way where there's no casualty, where no one gets more hurt. I want us to join forces together and say, I love you, I'm for you, you're amazing. Let's get started. Let's work on it. Here's what's going on. Um, By the way, you need to understand, I don't know if y'all know this, uh, but women and men communicate differently. Most of the time, right? Um, for instance, for instance, if, if a woman comes into the living room and says, and sits down and says, there's no more toilet paper. That's very different than if a man comes in and sits down and says, there's no toilet paper. See, when a man comes in and says, there's no toilet paper, he's just giving everybody a warning. Don't get stuck back there. You need to take an alternative source Because you just need to know it's not back there. So when you go, take some, get you a magazine, some newspaper or something. You know what I'm saying? There's no toilet paper. When a woman says there's no toilet paper, everybody here knows what she was saying. Women, what was she saying? Go get toilet paper. And all the men are like, why didn't you say go get toilet paper? And she's like, I did. I said, there's no toilet paper, i.e. get up and go get toilet paper. So men and women communicate differently. Uh, according to Ephesians 5, and I'll probably come back to this. Let me give you a pro tip. According to Ephesians 5, men, men have a mega need, and it's not actually sex, women, surprisingly enough. They have a mega need, and it's not sex. It's, I know, it's shocking. Uh, it's actually respect and honor, okay? Women have a mega need, right? And, and it is security or love, and they don't really distinguish much of a difference because to them it's the same thing, okay? What I mean by that is if they feel secure, they feel loved. And if they feel loved, they feel secure. And if they don't feel loved, they don't feel secure. Does that make sense? So, so their question is, would you still pick me today, 
right? Their question is, do you still love me? Are you still for me? Are you still going to take care of me, protect me, whatever? In other words, they're looking for that. Men, men, this is their thing. Do you think I'm a good person? Do you think I'm enough? Do you love me? Do you respect me? Do you honor what I do? Okay. The reason I say that, because if you understand he speaks a language of respect and she speaks a language of love, then when you go to them, speak their language, not yours. I never forget, I had a woman, she didn't understand this, and she sat in my office one time, and she said, I love him, but I'll never respect him. And I said, you just killed him. And she didn't get it. I said, what if he turned to you and said, I respect you, but I'll never love you. She was like, that's not what I said. Yes, you did. You did. And you just killed him. And the truth was, he was an honorable person. He was a respectable guy. She just wasn't able to see it at the time. But the point that I'm saying is, when you go to talk, talk in their language. If you're a guy, right, go tell her, I'm for you. I love you. And as we work through this, you need to understand my commitment to you and my love for you is unwavering and unchanging. Well, then she's like, well, I, I, okay, well, let's talk about it, Right? Now, if you're a woman, you go to him and say, you're a stud. I'm helping you out, women. Helping you out. You're a stud. I honor and respect what you give to our family and me, but there's something I'd like for us to talk about, but please understand in talking about it, I am not calling into question that you're a man of honor and I respect you. Because then he was like, well, baby love, what you need me to do, honey? Right? Now, I also warn you, he probably thinks he's getting sex when that's over anyways, but you already knew that. So anyways... <laughs> Anyways, all right, so, but the point is, start on the same side. Let me give you the third thing. Four and five are easy, so let me give you the third thing. This last one we'll spend time on. And it's in this, complain, but don't criticize. It's okay to have a complaint. That just means there's an issue. Criti a complaint, let me tell you the difference. Complaining is talking about an experience I had. A criticism is talking about who you are or what's wrong with you. A complaint says there was something wrong with my experience. And it could even be on my side, but there was still something wrong with my experience. And you need to be open to the fact that maybe part of it's on your side. Maybe it wasn't what they said or what they did. Maybe it was how it impacted you because of what's going on with you, and that's okay. But when we're filing a complaint, we're saying there was something wrong with my experience. When, when we're making a criticism, we're saying there's something wrong with you. You're crazy. You're the problem, right? And so we need to understand the difference and we need to understand if someone has a complaint, that's not a problem. Every good company, department store, whatever the case would be, they have a customer service counter where you can bring complaints, right? And you say, hey, I was eating at your restaurant and you know, my steak came out and it wasn't cooked properly. I've had a bad experience at your restaurant. I'm not saying you have a, you're a bad chef or you're a bad restaurant. I'm saying I had a bad experience here and I would love for you to address it. That's a complaint. A criticism is, you know what? Your food sucks. That, that's, that's a criticism, right? So when we're, when we're working through, when, when we said, okay, the goal is connection, we're going to start on the same side, now I'm going to talk about how I feel, not who you are, right? Because this is, this is my complaint now. In other words, let me walk through this. Okay, at the end of this, we're going to be better connection. Baby love, you're a stud. I'm for you. You're respectable and honorable. I had this experience and here's how I would say that. I had this experience because you remember the other day when you said this and this? Yeah. I'm not sure what you meant by that, but here's how it impacted me. And I would love your perspective. Right? Remember the other day when you did? Yeah. Well, here's the experience. Or, hey, remember last Tuesday we just weren't? Yeah. Well, here's the experience that I had and it's impacted me in this way. And I'd love for us to talk about it and work about it, work on it together. You see the difference? Now, let me say one more thing here um, is that sometimes in a relationship, you'll get a bringer-upper. 
is what counselor, this is a counseling term right now, is a bringer-upper. And it's a person that's they just keep bringing up the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Just bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. Don't, don't nod. Y'all look straight ahead. Good Lord, we're in this together. I look back there and say, you can't talk about that, preacher. Amen. Well, here's what I need you to understand is when your brain complains, this is where it takes faith and this is where it takes prayer. When you're bringing a complaint and you're saying, hey, I had this bad experience, okay, your steak was overcooked, you know, whatever. Oh, okay. Well, next time there, your steak was still overcooked. Okay, I'd just like to bring up again, your steak is overcooked. If you just keep bringing it up over and over again, they just turn, turn it off, right? So this is the hard thing, is you can bring things up a couple of times and your hope is they'll take responsibility for the experience or their part in the bad experience and make an adjustment. That's what you're hoping, right? But after you brought it up three or four times and they haven't made an adjustment, that's when you have to understand you're not the enforcer. God is. And you got to stop bringing it up to them and start bringing it up to him. Right? Because if you keep bringing it up to them, you're just going to be the nagger or whatever the case may be. And so at some point, you got to say, you know what? God has given me the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, but not others' control. I can't control them. I brought it up a few times. There's not been an adjustment. They've assured me they understand. Maybe they've told me there'd be an adjustment, but there's not an adjustment. Now I'm going to go bring it up to Him. And I'm going to trust Him with it because this is not going to work. Does that make sense? And, and by the way, let me just say, I'm not saying this if, if it's abuse. I'm not saying, like, if you're bringing up, hey, you're being abusive to me, then no, you don't stay in an abusive relationship. You get help and you get out, okay? I'm not saying you get a divorce. I'm saying you get out. Then we figure it out. Does that make sense? So I'm not talking about something major like that. I'm talking about an issue that's manageable where you're bringing it up and they're not adjusting. Then you go to God and you bring it up to him. Does that make sense? So start, you know, so determine the goal, start on the same side, complain, don't criticize. Number four, let them respond when you've issued, when you brought your complaint to them, let them fully respond after they've heard you because you want to understand them as well. And then number five, work on it together. Work on it together. Does that make sense? Relationships are rewarding and wonderful and also challenging all in the same. And anytime you have a relationship, you're going to have conflict. And conflict's not a bad thing if we work on it the right way and we work on it together. It can actually deepen the relationship. It can actually, it can actually deepen our connection because we understand each other more. So the commitment is then, well, let's work on it the right way and work on it together. Amen? Amen. Come on, can you give Jesus a hand today? Why don't you stand with me? And, uh, and then I, if you're on the, the prayer team, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and come. And we have prayer. Um, for anyone who needs prayer, we would love to pray with you today. Um, and if you need prayer individually or you need prayer in a relationship, it's confidential. We don't tell anybody your business. And also remember, if you need help in your marriage, you can text my marriage to 94000 and our pastoral team will do what we can in any way we can to help you as best we can, as quickly as we can, et cetera. But if you need prayer today or if you need a relationship with Jesus, we've talked about relationships, but maybe you need a relationship with God. You know, I'm not even asking if you call yourself a Christian. I'm just asking, how's your relationship with God? We would love to pray with you about that. And if you're watching online and you need prayer, you can text my pathway prayer to 94,000. But let's bow our heads. And um, I'd just like to ask God to speak to all of us. And I know we've heard in worship and we've worshiped together. We've prayed together. We've heard God's word, but... Let's give God an opportunity to speak to all of us if he hasn't already. God, I just thank you for all of my friends and family in the room. God, relationships, they're, they're wonderful, but they can be difficult at times, challenging. They stretch us and they grow us. That's the benefit. God, I just pray today, if there are people struggling today, God, I just pray for your grace, for your help. God, now as we bow our heads, just 
getting ready to leave. God, we don't want to leave without hearing from you. So God, I ask, God, that every person would receive a word from you. And if you're standing there, your head's bowed, would you just maybe take a moment and say, God, what do you want to say to me today? Holy Spirit, what would you speak to my heart today? And it can be about relationships, the message. It can be about something else. We just want to hear a word from God. And God, I pray, I believe that you can speak to everyone. I believe you still talk. You still talk to us. God, I pray you'd speak a word to every heart, every life today, that every person would leave, whether online or in person, every person would leave today having heard something from you that brings life, that brings encouragement, that strengthens us, gives us direction. God, I pray today over our church today, I pray for our relationships. God, I pray for health. I pray for there's, where there's hurt. God, I pray for healing. I pray where there's brokenness. I pray for wholeness. I pray where there's misunderstanding, there would be understanding. I pray where communication has gone badly. I pray, God, we'll try again and we'll work to do it differently. God, I know you're able to do more than we can ask or think. God, work in our relationships, God, I pray today. Work in our relationships today, God. And I pray over all of our church as we celebrate this week, Thanksgiving, God, whether it's been a good year or a hard year, Lord, let us find those things to be thankful for. God, your goodness, your grace, and your love for us. God, let us focus on the good and enjoy the company of those we're in and be grateful for that and celebrate. God, keep everyone safe as they travel. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise one more time? God, so good. So good. Listen, if, if you need prayer, you need a relationship with God, whatever it would be, your relationship with God, your relationship with others, or just health, whatever it is, we'd love to pray with you. Everyone else would say, but God bless you. We love you so much. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Grab your kids. Don't forget them. We'll see you next weekend. God bless you.